Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis, and it is Saturday, January the 12th, uh, 2019, year 2019, 2 p.m., and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment. I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. It has It is official. The current uh, government shutdown is the longest so far in history, and it is, does not seem to... Uh, show any type of uh, ending anytime soon. So that's uh, a dubious record. And I want to talk a little bit about um, government shutdowns, and that's coming up right now. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. So again, thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Um, so a little background, a little history. The Constitution lists the power to lay and collect taxes and the power to borrow as powers of Congress. Further, it provides that funds may be drawn from the Treasury only pursuant to appropriations made by law. The Constitution does not state how these legislative powers are to be ex exercised, nor does it expressly provide for the president to have a role in the management of the nation's finances. During the nation's early years, the House and Senate devised procedures for the enactment of spending and revenue legislation. The process implemented during the 19th and early 20th century led to highly fragmented legislative actions. As long as the federal government was small and its spending and revenues were stable, a more complex budget system was not considered necessary. With the growing federal spending and the recurrence of deficits, Congress sought a more coordinated means of making financial decisions. The key legislation was the Budget and Accounting Act of 1921, which established the executive budget process. The 1921 Act did not directly alter the procedures by which Congress makes revenue and spending decisions. Its main impact was in the executive branch. The president was required to submit his budget recommendations to Congress each year, and the Bureau of the Budget, which was renamed the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, in 1970, was created to assist him in carrying out his budgetary responsibilities. Congress, it was expected, would be able to coordinate its revenue and spending decisions if it were if it received comprehensive budget recommendations from the president. The 1921 Act also established the General Accounting Office, or GAO, headed by the Comptroller General, and made it the principal auditing arm of the federal government. Now, the GAO recently was renamed the Government Accountability Office. <clears throat> Pardon me. Another milestone legislation was the Congressional Budget and Impoundment Control Act of 1974, which was to coordinate the various revenue and spending decisions that are made in separate revenue appropriations and other budgetary measures, and established the Congressional Budget Office, CBO, that provides data analysis of the federal budget to Congress and the President. <clears throat> Pardon me. Sinus time. Uh, oh, so I can share with you. I'm going to um, take a break from my topic at this point just to share with you. So if you're watching the video podcast, uh, 
this is what's going on outside right outside of studios I'll leave that up there for a second but uh, we've got quite a bit of snow actually I love snow um, I love the weather in the Midwest uh, a lot of people don't like the cold but I like the changes in temperature and uh, I think someone said to me uh, 10 inches of snow which would be ideal I don't do a lot of driving so that is fine with me um, so getting back to talking about the budget or, or talking about the government shutdowns um, government shutdowns so one a couple of the things said about the government shutdown that I thought about uh, was that it may be a cost uh, effective issue uh, and, and I'll uh, share a little bit more about that in a minute but um, so early in the or I can say early um, as you know, the the our current budget budgeting situation, how we do budgets, is not perfect, and it, and we're constantly working on that to do better. And um, pardon me, my sinuses just went insane just a minute ago. So um, the budget process has you know gone through some changes over the years in an attempt to find the best way to create a budget and as our government has grown and grown quickly um how we provide a budget has been a particular challenge now given an opportunity anyone someone will take an opportunity to take something as innocuous as a budget and turn it into a weapon But then Newt Gingrich happened. Uh, he was the new speaker in 1995. The Republicans had a brand new majority in the House. And Newt Gingrich decided the budget was the place to go to war with President Bill Clinton. Okay, what happened then? In November of that year, and again in December and January, the Congress sent bills to the president daring him to veto them. He did. And that meant no new appropriations were made or available to the government. And that meant all non-emergency functions of the government started shutting down. And how long did they stay shut down? First time was several days, and people thought everyone had learned their lesson. But uh, they came back for a full three weeks the second time around. Three. So as you can see... Um <clears throat> the gov the um, government finances started to become a weapon uh, against one another, one political party against another. And rather than just focusing on um, um, doing what it's supposed to do and using some other tool to achieve uh, political gains, every tool becomes um, an opportunity to use as a wedge against other parties. <clears throat> and uh, just, I'm going to just a second. I need to clear my throat and I don't want to do it in the middle of the microphone. Uh, give me just a second here.
All right, a little better. Uh, so now the, uh, that's the first opportunity I've had to have to do that. Uh, so I'll, I'll create a better procedure in the future. Uh, one of the, um, and so I'll make um, note again at this, in this particular uh, podcast, um, because of the setup that I have, uh, there's going to be a lot of reflection, light reflecting into the glasses. So that they may be a little bit of a distraction and, um, I'm working on getting some contacts. I've worn contacts before so that, uh, it will be less of a distraction. So hopefully that will happen in the future. But anyway, uh, making sure that the, the budgeting process is, um, used in an attempt to better the, do the business of the government and make um, governing easier. Uh, it has become a tool or a weapon against one another. Now, I uh, did a little research, and one of the uh, items that I found um, under Ronald Reagan, which uh, uh, the conservatives, uh, so there was a list of, um, let me first say, the clip that I just played was from a an article on NPR, and I've listed in the when you, if you get to the comment section of the podcast, uh, it'll there's a link to that particular article so, so that you can listen to uh, the full. It was just a five minute audio clip, and uh, there was some uh, an article attached to it, so you can follow that uh, when you get a chance. But I also uh, wanted to mention that there was uh, I, I looked up uh, on CNN. It was following the number of um, shutdowns that we have had uh and the i think the earliest was uh in the 80s uh this was all because of i gonna say all because of but it happened uh because of some changes that were made in the uh 70s to the budgeting process which is uh where we uh wait a minute which is where we've where we some of the things that we're currently dealing with in uh, this current um, budgeting situation. So they broke down the number of, um, CNN broke down the number of federal shutdowns since 1976 and Gerald Ford had one, Jimmy Carter, there were five shutdowns. Under Ronald Reagan, there was three, six, nine, I'm sorry, eight, eight shutdowns. Uh, under Reagan, it was one under Barack Obama, two under Bill Clinton, and one under H.W. Uh, Bush. Um, so, so my concern is, is that, uh, it's, how do you do the nation's business uh, when you use the nation's business to further a political agenda? So, so one of the ideas behind um, democracy is that it's majority rule, that the prevailing idea is the idea that um, is usually implemented and moves forward. Now, sometimes the minority or people in a minority position don't like the idea that they have to submit to majority rule. Now, as I, as I mentioned, the 
core idea behind democracy is that it's majority rule. If you don't accept that majority rule, then you don't accept democracy. That's it's plain and simple. And using uh, government shutdowns or um, filibusters to negotiate with is actually anti-democratic. It, uh, and I understand that we can define democracy as we choose to. We don't. It doesn't have to be a pure democracy. Um, and we can define democracy as we as we as we'd like as a, a group. But even then, it's as a group. If if an individual or a small group of individuals decides that they don't want to play by democratic rules that have been set forward and they and they make those changes without um, a prevailing uh, support of the. The, the group, uh, then it's no longer democracy. And um, so this government shutdown or the, the where we're at in this government shutdown um, does not seem to fit in a democracy. It does not seem the, the government should not be a tool against the people, but a tool for the people. And if your viewpoint does not fit the viewpoint of the majority, then why should that particular viewpoint get uh, preference, get preferential treatment over the, the group of the majority? Um, so uh, there are a lot of so so that's significant to me um and it seems more and more that um that the tools of government are being are, are used in a way inconsistent with the purpose of government I, my guess is our founders envisioned a system where men of good faith, men and women of good faith, executed the responsibilities of their position in a good faith way to achieve the benefit of society as a whole and not to benefit a small part of society, but that everyone be able to participate and at least have a voice in how things should be executed and uh, a, a goals achieved. And so the idea is, is that are we electing people who are working in good faith to achieve the uh, goals for all people in society and not just some of the people in society and talking about um, our legislators recently um, 
Alexandria Cortez uh, Ocasio. I, I, want, I think I got her, her last name wrong. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll look that up in a second. Well, take take a second. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I want to make sure I got that right. I apologize. Uh, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, made the suggestion that representatives should withhold their pay until the shutdown is over um, to show solidarity or to show that uh, they are affected in the same way by the laws or by the behavior of Congress that all of the other citizens are. Now, that is a an admirable thing. It is, uh, without a doubt, the way most or all of the most of the things that are enacted in Congress, Congress should be as affected by that. They should not. And I think that's in the Constitution, if I remember correctly, that uh, that they should not get preferential treatment. The the difficulty with doing that for this negotiate this uh, shutdown is that the salary then becomes a part of the negotiating process. So the shutdown was initiated with the intent to inflict pain. <clears throat> it, the intent was to cause enough pain that the initiator would then get concessions or compromise in the negotiating process if lawmakers have withheld their salaries, then while they do show solidarity with uh, federal workers that have lost pay, it works to the benefit of the initiator of the shutdown and, and allows that to give additional leverage, which is what was intended. So, so one of the things that I have learned or was told in life was, um, if a man only has a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Simply meaning if they only have one negotiating skill, if they have only one skill, then they can only apply that skill with everything that they do. Uh, if in a negotiating process, you can only dis only negotiate from strength. I, I dare say you are not a strong negotiator. Negotiator has to be able to negotiate from strength and from weakness. Now, I'm not saying that and I don't want to pick the, on the president and say, um, he's the only one in this situation that is a weak negotiator. Uh, there are two sides in this negotiation, and it appears both sides are negotiating with a hammer. Um, that does not mean that you knuckle under 
on the government shutdown, that just means um, there has to be more than one way to achieve uh, Zen, uh, achieve a better result. And in this situation, um, it, it just seems it's all hammer. Everyone's slamming each other. Everyone's pounding at each other. And the people that are suffering the most is the country. And, um, and, and how we look at negotiating in the future. As I, I, I talked on um, my podcast, Role Models, is those people in power are setting examples of for the future. So you'll hear a lot of talk about precedent. Well, this is this is a part of precedent. If it if it if we've done this before, then someone can look back and say, um, the country survived a month long um, government shutdown. The country survived a three month long shutdown. So it's not inconceivable that we can push that longer as a negotiating tactic. So this sets bad precedent and it can down the road become even more painful for the country. And one of the things that I had mentioned earlier was that um, there may be a cost um, issue associated with it. And in, in that very same um, clip that I played for you earlier, this was available. The frictional costs of these shutdowns are actually quite substantial, tens of millions of dollars at least. And as a result, they actually lose money. But do they actually accomplish anything? It's hard to see how they accomplish anything in terms of the efficiency or effectiveness of the government itself. But they do have the effect of energizing and emphasizing the differences between the political parties and the factions within the parties. Sure. They can be highly stimulating for donors and activists. So they, the government, which is managing a very large budget, um, loses money on these types of uh, adventures, uh, I like to call it, um, because there's st startup costs. I mean, once the workers come back to work, there's all of that work that's that has to be caught up in order to uh, properly manage government services. And uh, one of the articles, and I think you, if you look at the uh, scroller at the bottom here, uh, on NPR there was also talk of uh, people being evicted because uh, some HUD uh, contracts had expired. And they, you know, because of the shutdown. And so people are, are going to be evicted. Not only is there the cost of people losing wages and having to um, re reorganize their lives because of a, a lost paycheck. Um, so one of the things that that I want to per, to put out there as a, a possible uh, op uh, option of ending the shutdown is uh, rather than a wall, um, we we understand 
the, some of the financial costs of it and some of the shortcomings of it. What about a, uh, rather than, you know, than billions of dollars for a wall, how, how about we um, manage our borders with uh, um, drones? They can be fitted with um, spotlights. They can be fitted with PA systems. Uh, they can cover large amounts of ground in a very short time. They can be fitted with uh, software to recognize people in open spaces or even in uh, wooded areas. And so uh, it, let's assume it takes three people to manage a drone, five. Um, but, you know, a few people to manage a drone. Um, by having the drone, we can um, survey the, the area. Uh, when you spot um, people coming towards the border, you can direct them to legal entry points so that we so that they know where they can legally come into the country. Um, we can monitor some safety aspects of it so that, you know, we can make sure that or, or at least record if they're being treated properly across this journey as they as they travel and we can identify bad players. Um, so there are a lot of ways to uh, achieve this and. You know, I've, I haven't heard that um, idea presented. That doesn't mean it hasn't been. It just means I'd like to throw that out there. And um, hopefully that can be um, a part of, you know, getting things back in order. Um, so the the. So I'm looking at the the the, the, the shutdown, and and I want to. So I had to ask myself. Um, let's assume that there is a. That I don't see the things that the president sees as far as uh, the the crisis that he says exists, and and I may not be uh, have access to information that he well i'm definitely not going to have inf access to information he's going to have but as i've seen the information presented i don't see the same i don't see it in the same way he sees it and those people surrounding him see it um so so the goal then is how do we find a way to even though we see different things, still be able to um, make each other comfortable with a solution that will give both both parties or all parties involved a level of confidence that it can be achieved and done well. And that has to start with out. Um, the name calling it has to start without 
accusations. And it has to start with uh, accepting that uh, all parties have a part in putting forth ideas that are going to work for all of us and then accepting the premise of democracy. If, if we're going to live in a democracy, then let's act like a democracy, which means not trying to hold hostage those things that make democracy work if you're not in the majority. And hopefully we can um, get that done. Um, I'm going to close up uh, with that today. And uh, I say I do the podcast live and I've said that I said that last week. And I want to remind you again this week that you can participate in the discussion and you can join me. Uh, and there are several ways to do that. One is uh, if you go to the live website on YouTube, I stream live on YouTube and you can go to the site on YouTube and there is a um, chat box there and you can uh, input your comments. If you prefer to use audio or if you'd like to call in, um, you can uh, make connections with me on uh, Skype at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com on Google Plus at the Lion, or I'm sorry, Google Hangouts. Google Hangouts, uh, Google Plus to uh, Google Hangouts, uh, thelionsden.stl at gmail.com. Thank you so very much for being joining me today. It has been a great opportunity to bring this show to you. I'll be back again next week, Saturday at 2 p.m. Now, the video podcast is available on YouTube, as I mentioned. You just do a YouTube search for Lion's Den STL. Now, the audio podcast is available on Stitcher.com, Anchor.fm, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store. Please consider supporting this podcast by visiting the anchor.fm slash altitude-adjustment2. The internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments, which is another way to support the, uh, the podcast. So please, like, share, and comment on this and other episodes because it matters. As always, be cool, be calm, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you. <laughs>